Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. But it's always just a great, great time. I love the new year. I love getting a chance to start with a clean slate. Amen. And today is New Year's Eve, and tomorrow, of course, is a day that uh, we all begin a brand new year, a year full of hope and promise and anticipation and expectation. And today and this coming week, it's a time of year that, you know, a lot of us, we're trying to imagine getting rid of some old, tired, worn-out habits or maybe some unrealized dreams, and we're starting to look forward maybe to some new goals or desires or resolutions. Now, this is not a trick question, no shame. How many of you are kind of the kind of people that you like to set goals or resolutions, something to kind of kick the year off? Show of hands, amen. Nine o'clock crowd uh, was a little stronger in this area, amen. So we're going to help y'all, going to try to help you out a little bit today, amen. Now, in a poll that was just released a couple of weeks ago, it said that Americans making New Year's resolutions for 2024, their top priorities, and none of these are surprises, were finances, physical health, and mental health. But not everybody, as evidenced by this crowd here today, is uh, into goal setting, right? This is what the survey said, the poll said. One-third or 34% of U.S. adults plan to make New Year's resolutions or set goals for 2024. Uh, Adults under the age of 30, uh, 52% of them are more likely to do so. Uh, 44% of those in the age bracket of 30 to 44. Uh, 27% of people... Uh, age 45 to 64 years old is going to make resolutions. And people 65 and older, only 18% of them are going to set New Year's resolutions. Most of them just want to live to see another year. Amen. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Joseph, yeah, you're right. Amen. See, the most common resolutions among Americans this year, are you ready? In this order, saving more money. Number two was resolving to be happy. What does that mean, by the way? I'm going to be happy this year. Amen. Exercise more. Improve your physical health. Eat healthier. Improve mental health or lose weight. Amen. I know I'd like to drop a few pounds. I'd like to save a few more dollars. I'd like to get a little healthier. Anybody in the house like to do those things with me? Amen. A woman walked into her bathroom at home. It was New Year's Eve. She saw her husband standing on the scales and he was sucking in his stomach. You know. Of course, you know, she thought to herself, you know, he thinks sucking in his stomach is going to help him weigh less. So, you know, with a little sarcastic tone in her voice, she looked at her husband. She said, that's not going to help. He looked back at her. He said, yes, it is. He said, it's the only way I can see the numbers. (laughs) So, So here's the reality, though. For most of us, there is always room for improvement in some area of your life. And if you don't think there's no room for improvement in your life, we have some good counselors in this church. Please see me after service. We will help you because you are living in a world of delusion. Because everybody has room for growth in their life, right? 
You know, some of you, maybe it's some physical goals, personal health or mental health or good financial stewardship or dieting or exercise. Uh, some of us, maybe it's some spiritual goals that we want to set or, or whatever those goals might be. It's a time, uh, you know, for us to try to get better in life. One of my favorite personal non-committal favorites is I'm going to be a better person, right? You know, well, what exactly are you going to do to be a better person? Not anything specific, I'm just going to be a better person. But today, let me go on record as saying I do appreciate the opportunity that a new year provides. Now, contrary to what some people think about me, I don't really enjoy setting goals for myself because I don't usually reach most of those goals. But I do recognize that I need to reflect on my life. And I need to look at what I'm doing well and what I'm not doing so well at. And for me, there's no better time to do that than right now. At the end of a new old year and at the beginning of a new year. So today, instead of me trying to tell you how to lose a few pounds or how to save a few more dollars this year, there's other places you can get that information. I want to share with you some goals that I think we can set for 2024 from the Bible for our lives. Imagine that, going to church and hearing the Bible, right? See, some goals that they may not be high on your list of New Year's resolutions, but I think they're things that can make a significant difference in the quality of your life and the quality of your walk with the Lord. Specifically, I want us to look at one chapter from the book of Proverbs, which was written by the wisest guy who ever lived. Not a wise guy, the wisest man. These could you know, really change you for the good, I think, if we apply them to our lives. So here's what I want to talk about today. My message is principles from Proverbs. And what I want us to do, I want us to go to Proverbs chapter 3. It's one of my, probably my favorite proverb in the whole book. And we're going to look at some of the verses here. And I'm going to give you 10 principles. So that means I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them because I don't want to still be preaching when the new year actually begins. I'm going to give you 10 principles quickly that we can glean from the verses of Proverbs chapter 3. So let's start by laying the right kind of foundation. And let's go to chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And here's what the word of the Lord says. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will, prosper, uh, they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Amen. Now, Solomon starts off this third chapter with a very matter-of-fact statement. He says, don't forget my teachings. He says, but keep my commands, and they will prolong your life, notice the promise, many years, and bring you peace and prosperity. I love the fact that there's something that the Lord promises us when we, in turn, reciprocate by walking in truth. He gives us a threefold promise of blessing in verse 2. If you do these things, what? It'll prolong your life many years. It'll bring you peace. It'll bring you prosperity. Man, talk about a resolution that can reap results, right? Amen. Don't forget to live by the teachings and commands of the Lord. So what would happen if we adopted these things this year? So let's jump in. Let's go right. We're going to begin with the first one. And it starts in verse Chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Here's the first principle. we got to live by kindness and truth. Yes. Now, let's read the verse. Don't ever forget kindness and truth. Wear them like a necklace 
Write them on your heart as if on a tablet. Then you will be respected and will please God, both God and people. Now, before I get you to, I want you to notice, every time in these scriptures it says, it gives us something to do, but then it tells us how God will bless us for doing it. I love that. He said, don't forget kindness and truth. Wear it like a necklace. Write it on your heart. Then, what? You will be respected and will please both God and people. People. Now, two elements coupled together as the foundation for how we're to live our lives and treat others. Kindness and truth. In the King James Version, it used the word mercy and truth. Mercy meaning shutting out all forms of selfishness or, or hate or judgment. Truth meaning shutting out all deliberate falsehood and hypocrisy, whether it's conscious or, or unconscious. See, mercy and truth, these are God's, two of God's greatest attributes, right? And the Bible says he wants us to embrace them. Let these two qualities be guiding lights in our lives. They become foundational in all we do, mercy or kindness. You know what it is? Showing love to those who need it. Sometimes to people who don't even deserve it. Amen? Extending grace instead of judgment. Truth, the Bible says, is to be the bedrock of our character and our walk with God. Walking in truth. Loving truth, living a life of truth, not dishonesty, not falsehood, not lies, not little white lies, not deception, right? You know, kindness and truth can and must walk together. Now, I think if we're not careful, too many believers, we think that, and the world has sold us this lie, that being kind means you can't express the truth. That being kind means that you can't embrace truth. Folks, that is a lie that our culture has sold us. That is saying that truth equals meanness. Or truth equals intolerance, right? Or truth equals bigotry. That's a lie from the devil. You can't embrace mercy and truth together. Everybody say together. Together. Mercy and truth go together. Kindness and truth go together. And for some of you folks, I'm going to tell you, all you need is rule number one, uh, principle number one this year. To change your life. If you can learn to walk in kindness to people, and if you can learn to walk in truth. Everybody say truth. Truth. Can I be honest with you and tell you, I'm amazed at how many Christians will stretch the truth into a lie. (laughs) Can I just be your pastor today on this last Sunday of the year? Come on. They will shape a story to fit their story. They will fail to honor their word. Christians should not be liars. Oh, I expected a little more help from the house than that. Come on, amen. Oh, I'm just telling little white lies. They're not really lies. Oh, yes, they are. Truth. We need to embrace truth. God wants our yes to be yes, our no to be no. Amen. Folks, it's not complicated. Amen. It's not complicated. Wear kindness and truth. I love this verse. It said, wear it like a necklace. King James said, bind it around your neck. You know what that means? It's always in front of you. It's right there. You can't hide it. Mercy, truth. Kindness, truth. Walk in truth. Live in truth. Tell the truth even when it hurts. Come on, we got an integrity crisis in Christianity right now. Tell the truth even when it hurts. Amen? Robin used to sing a song to the girls and was teaching this value. Tell the truth. Always tell the truth. Don't be telling lies. 
Next time your husband or wife stretches the truth, say, stop telling them lie, yai, yais. Amen. Tell the truth. Amen. Here's the next one. Next principle from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Ah, I love this verse. I love all the songs that have been spun out of these verses. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Anybody remember that? Come on, Maranatha. Y'all got to help a boy out today. In all your ways, what does it say? Submit to him. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Amen. He will make your path straight. Trust him. Submit to him. Pursue him. Walk with him. You know what that word trust means? Firm belief in or confidence in. Honesty, integrity, reliability in another person or thing. That's how we're to trust God. A confident expectation, anticipation, or hope that God is true. Amen. That word acknowledge means we're to admit as being true or to confess or to recognize the authority or claims of something or someone. In other words, we are acknowledging God is sovereign and we are acknowledging that God has providence over our life. Now, I could spend an entire Bible study on just these two verses, two of the richest in all the Bible. Here's three directives for us and one promise from the Lord in these verses. Are you ready? Three things we do, one thing God does for us. He said, number one, trust in the Lord. Number two, don't trust yourself. Or in other words, lean not on your own understanding. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then he said, acknowledge God. Or in other words, submit to God and everything. And then here's the promise, the reward. He will make your path straight. He will direct and order your life. Amen. It is so hard not to follow our own understanding. Oh, my goodness. Especially when you're as smart as most of us are. Right? Especially when we have spent our whole life never making mistakes, always making right choices, always doing the right thing. Why would I not follow somebody like me? Amen. It's so hard. But you know what? The truth is sometimes it's hard to trust the hand of God when we're confused, when we don't know what's going on around us. When we feel like God has deserted us or forsaken us or forgot our address, amen. But trusting in the Lord is, and, and not yourself, it can become the bedrock of your Christian life. It is what allows you to walk by faith and not by sight. Come on, amen. Trust God. Don't trust yourself. Submit to him and everything. That's what the verse says. Trust God. Don't trust yourself. Submit to him and everything. Here's the third principle from Proverbs. Don't be wise in your own eyes. I like how he's kind of elaborating on the last point. How do you trust in the Lord? Don't be so wise in your own eyes. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Everybody want to get healthy this year? Everybody want to get good? Hey, I got a good scripture for you. You ready? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Well, I thought you were going to tell me how to lose weight. Well, don't be wise in your own eyes. It brings health to your body, nourishment to your bones. You know what I think it does? Not just physical health, mental health, emotional health. Which the older I get, can I just tell you, I'd almost rather have a backache the rest of my life and peace in my brain. Amen. There's nothing like having peace in your life. When you can lay your head on your pillow at night 
And you may not know the answer, but you know God is in control. Amen. Come on, and no matter what tomorrow brings, oh, come on, somebody. No matter what 2024 brings, I am trusting in the Lord to see me through. You know what the greatest hindrance to getting wisdom from the Lord is? Is when we think we already know it all. Really. I mean, most of the messes that we are in, come on, somebody tell the truth and shame the devil, is because we followed our own wisdom. You're in a hot mess because you are a hot mess. Right? Come on. We, we get in situations, and most of the time, the devil didn't make us do it. Somebody didn't sabotage us. We made some poor choices, and now we got to clean up the mess on aisle five. Amen. Most of the messes are because we were being wise in our own eyes. Well, I think, or in my opinion, Solomon said, first fear the Lord and depart from evil. It means putting our confidence in the things of God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God. Godly wisdom comes from all these sources and will come when we fear the Lord and shun evil. Amen. Here's the fourth principle from Proverbs. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, I'm just reading through these Proverbs, y'all. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. Not leftovers. With the first fruits of all your increase. So your, and here's the promise again. I love it. Every time. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I need me some vats that are overflowing. Come on, somebody. Amen. Your substance, your possessions, your wealth. It's talking about your capital, your increase, your revenue. Your first fruits are the first part of your income or anything that comes into you. And the scripture says, honor the Lord with that. Your possessions, your first fruits. Honoring the Lord with your first fruits and substance. It starts for believers with tithing. Everybody say tithing. Come on, it's God's law of the harvest. Giving is that first fruit after faith and after trust and eliminating fear from your life. And I'm just going to tell you right now, folks, and I'm telling you from years and years of personal experience, if you want to get your finances in order for 2024, make it a point to be a faithful and cheerful giver. Can all the faithful and cheerful givers say amen? Come on. Not sporadically, not haphazardly, not when you feel a little goosebump of conviction that says give. Come on. Faithfully. And as your pastor, I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you. Give faithfully, give cheerfully, give consistently. And folks, many of us are not here yet. Now all the tithers always go, because I thought everybody tithed. No, they don't. Amen. Some people are missing out on the blessing that you and I understand quite well. Amen. And that is that when you honor God with your possessions, He always makes a way. Amen. When I take care of His house, He takes care of my house. Amen. Not giving. I've learned over the years it's a result of several different things. And it really depends on the person, right? There's a lot of reasons people don't give faithfully and consistently. Number one, it could be fear. Everybody say fear. Fear is one of those, right? I, I would give, but I'm afraid I won't have enough for my needs or, or I, I can't afford to tithe. I've never done this before. Uh, you can. You've just got to overcome that fear and you've got to start somewhere, amen? So fear is one of the reasons. Here's another reason a lot of people don't, don't tithe or give. It's a lack of understanding. I don't understand tithing. 
Why in the world am I supposed to be given 10% of my income through the local church? I'm a new Christian. Does God really want me to do that? It's a lack of understanding, right? Here's another reason some people struggle. Some people just struggle with faithfulness, right? You want to do it. You can see the value in it. You don't need another Bible study on it, right? You can get up here and talk about it. But fear or maybe not enough discipline in your life, can I just say it? Right, the lack of personal discipline. Maybe it's caused giving faithfully to not be a priority, amen. And then there's the last category of people, and I think it's the smallest group, really. And those are those who are just walking in plain old disobedience. I see it, I've heard it, I can afford it, but I don't have any intention on doing it. And they're out there too. I want to do other things with my money, amen. Folks, a great resolution for most of the people that are hearing this message would be this coming year, I am going to be faithful in my tithes and my offerings. Amen. Amen. You can do it. How do I do it? Well, review your contribution report. Look at your pay stub. Ask yourself, have I honored the Lord with the first fruits of all my increase this year? My wealth. Amen. Does my giving reflect that I'm a tither? Amen. See, some of you are praying right now for God to bless you financially. But if you are refusing to be faithful, and the things he's already given you, then how can you expect him to give you more? Amen. There's a scripture. When you're faithful in the little things, you'll be what? Ruler over much. Ruler over many things. Amen. Be faithful with the little you have and watch God multiply it and bless it and grow it. And on this last day of the year, I'm going to issue a challenge to you. Not only am I challenging you to be a tither in 2024, but I'm challenging some of you go home and be a tither in 2023. Go home and say, you know what? I might have slacked off all year, but I've got some reserves, and I'm going to make it right before I close out this year. I'm going to close this year as a winner. I'm going to close this year in obedience. What am I talking about? Year-end giving. You can give, and you can close your year strong and watch God bless. Amen. Go online. If you're one of those people that struggle with discipline, go online and set your giving up on auto pay. And just like all your other financial commitments, and tell the Lord, I'm going to put you first this next year. You are getting my first fruits, not my scraps, not my leftovers. Amen. Everybody say amen. I'm just reading through Proverbs 3, y'all. Don't be throwing no rocks. Amen. Here's the next principle. You ready? Number five. I love this one. This one's tough. Embrace godly correction. That's right from the book, too, y'all. Proverbs 3, verse 11. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you. Why? Look at verse 12. Because the Lord loves. <laughs> the Lord corrects, verse 12. Yeah, for the Lord corrects those that he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Have you ever been around those parents that have kids and they never correct them? They think it's because they love them. Oh, I know you love them, but you're setting them up for failure. Because we all know what children that are never corrected or disciplined become what? Brats. <laughs> Terrorists. Amen. In their school, on their bus, at the family gatherings. Come on. Everybody knows a child, what? A child who's been corrected and disciplined in a loving way is what? A more whole, sound, functional child. Amen. 
Now, I'm not telling you how to correct or discipline your kids. Amen. You can figure that out on your own. I can give you some advice if you want to know. Come see me after service. Amen. But I'm telling you, folks, here's what we forget. Solomon said, you can't call yourself a member of God's family if you will not accept our Father's discipline. It's part of his work of sanctification in us. Amen? How does he correct us? Oh, there's a lot of great ways. I I want you to learn something here today. Sometimes God corrects you in prayer. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Anybody ever done that? Amen. You're talking to God, and man, you just keep asking him for stuff, but he keeps telling you, we got to talk about this. We need to talk about this issue right here. Holy Spirit. Have you ever had the Lord correct you in a worship song? You're listening to worship at home. You got your your earbuds in, or you got your favorite uh, playlist on, or you're in church, and all of a sudden you're worshiping, and the Lord just says, He may correct you when you're reading your Bible. By the way, that's why, let me just throw this in real quick. Folks, man, go to Version if you have a smartphone or pick up a regular good old paper Bible and decide that you're going to read the Word of God every day this year. Hear me. There are plans. That when I grew up, all we had was a bread chart, right? We had one plan, read the whole Bible through in a year. Thank God for it, amen. But I'm telling you, if you go on Version, I don't make no money by plugging Version. Go on Version. it's called The Holy Bible, and find that app. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of reading plans. You can read as little as one verse a day, or you can read chapters a day and get through the, find your reading plan. Make that, if you're not going to make any other goals this year, make it a goal to read the Bible every day. And then guess what? On the day you don't read the Bible, which there will be some, you will forget, you will get busy, you will get lazy, and you will forget to read your Bible, or you will not read, and just pick up the Bible the next day and start all over again. Read your Bible and pray every day, and you'll what? There we go, my Sunday school fan. Yeah, and you'll grow, grow, grow. The Bible will correct you. God will correct you in a sermon. God will correct you in Bible teaching. Sometimes God will correct you through circumstances in your life. Embrace correction. Sometimes God will correct you through godly mentors in your life. A member of your small group. Somebody that you love. A spiritual. It might be a counselor. If you have your ears open for correction, guess what? God will correct you and what? He will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. Now you want to know... If you're embracing godly correction or not, it's real simple. It's not complicated, folks. Here it is. How do you respond when you receive it? How do you respond when you do receive godly correction? You ready? Let me give you a real fresh practical example. Ask yourself, how did you just receive the word of God when I was talking about honoring the Lord with your first fruits? Did you accept it? Or reject. How about when I was talking a little, while, uh, a little while ago about showing kindness and mercy to others? See, for some of us, that was actually a godly correction. Because some of y'all mean. Amen. <laughs> so you know what? That's a godly rebuke. What do I need to do? Do I accept it? Do I reject it? Right? What about, you know, what about when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about, what did I say about not lying, being truthful? Amen. Do you accept it? Do you reject it? How do you feel when the Lord speaks to us? you got to learn to accept it. Look in the Bible. Man, you read the history of the children of Israel. You know what it is? One correction and course correction after another. Here, Israel, do this. Yay, we're going to do it, God. Two days later, we'd stop doing it, Lord. We hate you. And God's like, nope. 
Back on the path, back on the path, back on the path. Matter of fact, they had a 40-year wilderness experience because they did not embrace correction. Real love always includes discipline and correction, and the same applies to us as New Testament believers. Folks, hear me. While you are here on this earth, the Holy Spirit is working in you and is seeking to impart His holiness in your life to rid us from sin and to make us more like Jesus. You are still a work in progress. Amen? When you become a Christian, when you become born again, hear me, you don't automatically attain perfection. The Bible does say that we are imparted a measure of righteousness and holiness from the moment we get saved, right? But, but guess what? You're not there yet. The Bible says you still have an old man, an old sinful nature that is constantly raising its head up and fighting against you, amen? And we constantly have to crucify that flesh. Embrace godly correction. Number six, search for wisdom and understanding. I'm only going to read verses 13 and 14, but if you're reading this chapter, it's actually from verse 13 all the way through verse 24. It's talking about searching for this. Proverbs 3, 13. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. What? She's more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Everybody say wisdom. Look at a farmer. He's got to have the right equipment the right materials. He's got to know what kind of seed to plant, when to plant it, where to plant it. He's got to know what is a, a, a winter crop and a spring crop and a summer crop. He's got to know how to harvest this stuff, where to store his harvest. He's got to have wisdom if he's going to be a successful farmer. Look at a businessman. Look at a businesswoman. Look at somebody starting a family or, or teaching or going to school. Look at a pastor. Look at a husband or a wife. Look at a student. We need wisdom. To succeed in this life. See, we talked about it earlier, not trusting our own understanding. but And that's by not being wise in our own eyes. How do you do that? You've got to replace your understanding with God's understanding. With godly wisdom. Seek for it. Ask for it. Don't be ashamed. Amen. Here's what James 1 and 5 said. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who what? He gives to all. Liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. But what? Ask in faith. With no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let no man that supposes that he will receive anything from the Lord. I'm sorry. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. God says, ask me for wisdom. I'll give it to you. But under these conditions, ask in faith, without doubting, and don't be double-minded. You know what that means? When I give you wisdom, don't try to back into your own wisdom again. Don't let me impart my wisdom and knowledge to you, and then you still want to walk in your own path, in your own ways. What's double-minded? It's, it's having faith, but also being uh, just swallowed by fear. It's, it's having your own plan and God's plan, and you think you're pursuing God's plan, but really God's is plan B. Don't be that way. Don't be double-minded. The Bible says that you, if a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Here's another principle from Proverbs 3, this time from verse 25. Reject fear. Everybody say reject fear. Proverbs 3, 25. Have no fear. Come on. Of sudden disaster or of ruin that overtakes the wicked. Why? The Lord will be at your side 
Woo! And will keep your foot from being snared. Amen. Everybody say reject fear. Come on, fear is one of Satan's greatest tools. It is the opposite of faith. Come on, fear of financial problems, fear of job loss, fear of health complications, fear of relationship troubles. Amen. It can come against any of us at any time. Here's what I got to tell you to do with fear. Reject it. Rebuke it. Come on. Denounce it. Command it to leave in Jesus' name. Pray against it. Come on, it's a spirit. You need to come up against it. Refuse to believe it. Refuse to cave into it. Refuse to allow it to torment you. Somebody say reject fear. Come on, reject it. It doesn't matter what the doctor said. Reject fear. Your God is in control of your health. Amen. It doesn't matter what your boss says. Reject fear. Jehovah Jireh is your provider. Come on, reject it. Reject it. Lord, help me to walk by faith and not by sight. Every time I feel fear, Lord, help me to replace it with faith. This passage reminds us we got to reject it because what? The Lord will be on our side. Here's another principle for 2024. I'm almost done. Do not withhold good. I'm giving you real stuff that will help you in 2024. Do not withhold good. By the way, did you notice in this, there's two passages on giving in these verses. The first one was about honoring the Lord with your wealth, giving to the Lord. This one's about honoring your brother or your sister. Honoring your fellow man. Do not withhold good. Proverbs 3, 27. Do not withhold good. Notice qualifiers from whom it is due and when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. See, we're to help those who need help, and the Bible says when we are able to do it. Why am I? I think that's a great caveat. I'm so glad he put it in there because sometimes you want to help and you just can't. You know what you do in those moments? Pray for them. I mean, really pray for them. If you don't have the ability to help, you pray for them, amen? That, and that's help in and of itself, right? But it says help when it is in your power to act. What does that mean? Sometimes it's financial help. Sometimes it's just a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's physical assistance. Sometimes it's a text message when you know somebody's been going through something. Sometimes it's being a listening ear. And folks, oh, if we could learn this, if you will open your eyes and look around, you would be amazed at the opportunities they are to help people. Most of them don't cost you a dime. The opportunities that we have to help people. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be elaborate. Just look for those opportunities in 2024. A few weeks ago, I just got back from a missions trip to Ghana. And uh, I was flying back from Ghana. I landed in D.C. for my final connection to Richmond. I was so glad to be home. I was tired. We flew all night long. It was about a 12-and-a-half-hour flight. Flew all through the night. Didn't sleep on the plane I had to go through passport stuff and customs. Any of you have ever flown internationally, you know what a pain that is. It's no fun at all. And, and I was so tired, and I was so glad to be back. I mean, I wanted to start a Lee Greenwood song. I'm proud to be an American. And I was so glad when I got to Washington, D.C., amen, and I saw Starbucks. I could get a good cup of coffee. I was just so glad to be home. And I was trying to head to my gate for my connection, and I saw this young woman standing. I saw this kind of... There was a commotion over by this escalator. And I saw this young woman standing over in front of the escalator steps. And she was standing like this. And she, was, and she would jump back. 
And she had her suitcase, and she, and, and she was paralyzed with fear. And there were people that were pushing their way around her. They were going by her. Some of them weren't looking at her. Some of them were giving them a good old, good old glare. Amen. You could tell a lot of people were irritated. And this woman, this young, she probably was in her mid-20s, and she was doing this, doing this. And I was standing there, and I was watching for a minute, and then I just thought, okay, what do I do? I already knew what I needed to do. So I walked over, and I said, you look like you're afraid. Do you need help right now? She went, yes. She was from Africa. She had never flown before in her life, and she had never seen a moving escalator. She said, what is this? The steps were going. I know it sounds crazy to us, right? But she was stricken with fear. And people were moving past her, moving past her, and she would not get on the escalator. So finally, I just said, would you like me to help you down these stairs? I said, these are moving stairs. I will help you if you want me to help you. She said, yes. So I, I took her by the hand, and then she grabbed me with her other hand. I mean, I thought she was going to just cut a hole in my... And then I grabbed her suitcase, and I could tell she was a poor girl. I could tell by her clothes. I could tell by the condition of her suitcase. And I, I had my backpack. I just slung it on. And so I grabbed her carry-on, and we started down the stairs. And she was, and I could feel her trembling. So the whole way down the stairs, I'm just trying to tell her, okay, now when we get to the bottom, this is what we have to do. We're going to try to step. So I'm trying to kind of walk her through this. And then finally, we made it to the bottom. I was like, and then I looked, and by 10 feet ahead, there was another one. And so we kind of, we go up there, and I've still got her bag, and there she is. She's like, oh. I said, come on, I'm going to help you down again. So we went down the next one, and no joke, there were two more. I think there was a total of four escalators. And so we finally got to the end of this journey. You know, people are flying past us, and, and she's got a hold of my arm, and I'm holding her hand. And then we get to the trains. To, this was, I mean, this was planes, trains, and automobiles. We get to the trains, and it's time to go connect to our concourse. And I see her pull her boarding pass out, and she's looking. And I could tell she was embarrassed, and she didn't want to ask me for any help again. And I finally, I said, do you know where to go? She said, no. And so I said, let me see your boarding pass. And there's a man that was following us this whole way. He was right behind us the whole way down, coming down, watching, watching from a distance. And then, so I'm looking at her boarding pass, and I look, and I realize she's going right to the same gate right next to me. And so I said, I'm going to take you all the way to your gate so you can get on your plane. So she's trying to text her husband and tell her husband that she made it safe, and she couldn't get her phone to work. She said, my phone won't work. And so then... The guy who's standing there, he goes, I don't think they have very much technology where she comes from. And I thought, you don't say Captain Obvious, right? You know, like, gee, thanks, that's a lot of help. So I told her, I said, let me see your phone. I thought, you know, now this is an area I cannot help you. <laughs> but I said, come on, let me take it. And we got on the train. I took her to her gate. And when we got to the gate, I pointed to her gate number. I pointed to the screen, and I told her, I said, look, here's your sin. And then she just started crying. She gave me a big hug, and then I went to Starbucks and got me some coffee. <laughs> now, now here's, why, here's why I'm telling you this story, okay? 
I'm not telling you the story to give, to give myself a pat on the back. Here's what, I, here's what I want you to get from this story. We've all got one of three responses. Number one, you can be Captain Obvious. What an idiot. She doesn't even, what in the world? How did you even make it this far? You know, he's standing off to the distance, not offering to help, just giving commentary, just staring. Or you could be, and this reminded me of the story in the Bible, you could be like the people who are just, excuse me, excuse me. It reminded me of a story where there was this guy who got robbed in the Bible, and he was laid on the side of the road, and all the religious folks just kept on walking. And then a Samaritan came and said, let me help you. So you could be like those people, or you could do like Solomon, and don't withhold good from whom it is due when it is in your power to act. <laughs> Folks, it's not complicated. Here's my challenge for you in 2024. Start looking for opportunities to help people. A card, a text, an encouraging word. You really look nice today. Wow, that's great. I'm so, your kids are so cute. Yeah, I mean, just a kind word, something kind. You never know what people are going through. You never know what's going on in people's lives. You never know what kind of help they may need. And your word of encouragement, your help, your financial gift, your sympathy card can make all the difference in the world. Amen? All right, I got to hurry. Number nine, be a good neighbor. Amen. Proverbs 3, 29 through 30, do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. I think as believers, this goes without saying, but we don't treat other people the way the world treats other people. Right? right? We don't act out the way the world acts out. Be a good neighbor. The best Christian witness is being a good neighbor. And I don't just mean the person living next door to you. I'm talking about the lady you work with. Come on. The guy that you see in the car line, the, the grocery store cashier. Be a good citizen to the world around you. And the last one, come on up, praise team. Number 10, don't envy the wicked. Everybody say, don't envy the wicked. Proverbs 3.31 says, Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways, for the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. You know what's sad? I know a lot of Christians that say they're glad to be saved, but man, they sure do spend a whole lot of time looking back at the world that they left behind. Some people talk bad about sin, but on the inside, they're secretly still envying the sinners, amen? And hear me, folks, there's a danger in that because if you window shop long enough in the world, pretty soon you're going to be back to buying the product again, Amen? That's why your testimony should be an account of what God saved you from, not a recap of how awesome your partying days were. Amen? When you look back, it should be with gratitude of deliverance, not a longing to go back to that life anymore. Hear me, envy always proceeds choosing. Always. What do you envy? Who do you envy? Why do you envy? The Bible says don't envy the wicked. That's why as Christians, we have to be careful with our relationship with the world. Because pretty soon you'll be right back where you were if you don't keep your eyes forward instead of backward. Not envying the wicked will help you resist temptation. It will help you stay focused on the Lord. It will help you make right choices. It will help you stay committed to the right priorities. 
Good goal for 2024. Lord, let me love what you love and hate what you hate. Amen. Let me be an example of moving forward, not an example of looking backward. I want you to stand with me all over this house. I hope you lose a few pounds in 2024. I hope you save a little bit more money. I hope your bank account looks better this time next year than it does today. I hope you get healthy. I hope your family prospers. I really, I mean, I mean this was, I hope every single one of us next year can go, wow, what a great year this was. But you know what? If all of that stuff happens, that's great. But none of that is eternal. None of that's eternal. The bank account, somebody else is going to get that money when you're gone. Right? Your health is only going to last you but so long because eventually it's numbered for every man wants to die. We're not going to live forever. But what we do for eternity can last forever. The difference we make by loving people and showing kindness and telling the truth and doing acts of service and, and just honoring the Lord with your first fruits. You say, well, what does that do? Man, that sends missionaries. That's, that sends the gospel. That changes lives. Do what lasts forever. And if you choose to follow the advice and principles of this Proverbs, I'm not going to read it. But here's how the chapter ends. Verse 33, it says, He blesses the home of the righteous. Verse 34 says, He shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. Verse 35 says, The wise will inherit honor. I want to tell somebody, go for it in 2024. Come on, amen. Whatever you're dreaming about, go for it in 2024. Set some goals, go after it, but while you're at it, shoot for the principles from Proverbs 3. Number one, live by kindness and truth. Number two, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Number three, do not be wise in your own eyes. Number four, honor the Lord with your wealth. Number five, embrace godly correction. Six, search for wisdom and understanding. Seven, reject fear. Eight, do not withhold good. Ten, nine, be a good neighbor. And ten, don't envy the wicked. Amen. So here's how I want us to close this service. And Pastor Chuck's going to come in just a moment, close us in prayer. But if you want to start, if you want to have a great 2024, I just want to challenge you to step out from where you are and come forward. And it doesn't matter how many times you fell down in 2023. Man, wipe the slate clean. Woo! Man, when you wake up in 12 hours, this year is gone. Come on. 2024, clean slate, new opportunities. And I want you to step out from where you are and say, God, I am ready. I want all the peripheral stuff. God, I ain't afraid to say, I want to get more healthy. I want to get more wealthy. I want, but God, I want to please you more than anything else with my life. I want to be a Proverbs 3 man. I want to be a Proverbs 3 woman. And I want you to help me, God, to be more productive for your glory in 2024. The praise team's going to sing, and as they do, why don't you step out from where you are, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to lay behind everything for 2023. Say, it's over, God. And by the way, I think we ought to just take a moment and clap our hands and say, thank God we made it. <laughs> Come on, you made it. A lot of people didn't make it. You made it. Come on, a lot of people are not here. You're here. Come on, a lot of people don't have what you have. You made it. You made it. It might not have looked the way you thought it was going to look. It might not have turned out exactly how you thought it was, but you made it. And guess what? I'm going into 2024, eyes wide open, faith in the Lord, knowing that no matter what comes my way, He 
he is well able to take care of me and mine. Amen. Let's give God a praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.